decided to shoot a video earlier in the morning here today. And because um, an idea came to me this morning about why we're at war all the time, why humanity seems to be condemned to a state of perpetual warfare, disharmony, disunity, and so on. Well, it reminded me of a saying that came from Augustine many, many centuries ago when he wrote about the contrast between the city of God and the city of man. And he said that the life of the world is essentially a, a, a condition of war between these two paradigms, where there are human beings that adhere closely to their religious principles, and then there are human beings who choose to turn away from those principles. And it comes back to this exercise of free will. You know, and what exactly does it mean to exercise free will? I mean, am I exercising free will when I choose to watch porn or you know, gamble or yell at my wife or do any activity that's essentially opposite to what is revealed in, in the scripture? I mean, if you, are, if you are a religious person and you look at the scripture and you read it, it's pretty clear on many topics. And so it becomes a choice of that matter. Do I choose to adapt myself and change myself and form my personality around those principles? Or do I just choose to say, well, no, nah, I don't think so. That's not for me. And so I think Shakespeare said it rather well when he put it in Hamlet, that speech, to be or not to be. To me, that, that captures the essence of the whole thing. You know, life is a choice of, of being or not being. And a lot of the bad behavior, it seems, comes about from habitually not being, of just ignoring or turning away from responsibility. And if you look at the word irresponsible, the IR at the beginning is a negation. Not being, irresponsible, anarchy, no ruler. I mean, living life as a negation is a kind of living death. But that's, I believe, the default approach that most people are using, or maybe not most, I don't know. I'm not a sociologist, but it just seems like a lot of people have chosen the not being aspect of life. You know, not responsible. Not being, negation. So what does it mean, or what does it look like to be irresponsible? Well, what does it look like to be irresponsible is a person who makes excuses and rationalizations and explanations, and then tries to sell you on the idea that the excuse is a legitimate replacement for whatever result that they were supposed to do, that they said they were going to do. Oh, let's. Let's get out of birdland here. <laughs> now it's going to be sunny. The sun is right in my face. Anyway, so they try to sell you on the idea that, you know what? This is why it didn't work. This is why it didn't happen. See? 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 Here's the proof. <clears throat> and they exercise enormous creativity to come up with these incredible excuses. And you look at that and you go, really? You're really trying to sell me on the excuse instead of the result that you said you were going to produce, or at least the result that I expected you to produce. 
And that, that's what irresponsibility looks like. You know, and in just a complete and total disregard for the difference between the excuse and, and the result that was expected. There's no distinction made whatsoever between those two. The excuse is the result. It is the result. See, that's why it didn't work. Okay, now you could take my excuse and let's move on. Let's get on with our lives. That's what irresponsibility looks like, folks. Now, what's it based on? Because people don't just snap their fingers and become irresponsible one day. In my opinion, the fact is they don't ever go beyond a four-year-old level of maturity as an adult. They never get beyond four years old. They look like they're an adult. They've got the physical form. But, you know, in their minds, they are stuck at a very childish level of development. In other words, they've never evolved as human beings within the, the, the time of their own lifespan. Because there is such a thing as evolution. You know, there is such a thing as the possibility of growth and change and adaptation. But for a lot of people, that is not a possibility. If you think about it, it's not. You could try to reason with them all day long. Hey, look, you know, the excuse is the excuse. It's not the result, though. Okay, do you see the difference? And you get that blank look. You could tell right there that these people have utterly accepted the idea that they cannot make a difference in their lives. Whatever it is they say, whatever it is they do makes no damn difference. It's all the same. Say this, say that, whatever. The results will be the results. There's not a damn thing you can do to intervene to make a difference. Likewise for their actions. There's nothing they can do that's going to make any damn difference. So coming from that context really does allow you to make a lot of sense out of what they're doing. At first, it seems very irrational, right? Well, what are you doing? The excuse is clearly not the result. I mean, you, you confront them logically and try. You're going to get no result. The result being you're not going to politically try to convince them to, to change the error of their ways. You know, so many people spend a lot of time with videos trying to convince people morning, about the error of their ways. Hey, would you people just wake up? Would you people just wake up? You know, I think they're just, they're well-intentioned, okay? They obviously mean well. They obviously want the best for other human beings. And, you know, they want the best for their own families, I'm sure, as well. Um, but, really, are we going to wake these people up? Really? I don't know. I mean, I think it's just best to, to approach people and reason with them to a certain level to say, well, you know, here's some things you want to consider and um, provide them with some, some logical arguments. And then if they choose to just go about their business as before, it's way better just to leave them alone and let them be on their own, kind of wandering to and fro. Because the only way those people are going to learn, really, is through some massive hardship that comes down. They're going to get that club right in the face, pow, knocked down for the count, and only then will they have an opportunity to see a, a new way of, of living, to see a new opportunity. They've got to be knocked down for the count. You know, I think Ben Franklin said something like, experience is an expensive teacher, but some people will learn no other way. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, right? But that's just how it has to be for a lot of folks, including me. I mean, I couldn't, 
I couldn't wake up at all. I mean, nobody could tell me anything. Um, 18, 20 years ago, I mean, I, I had to get divorced. I had to go through an enormous upheaval. My whole life had to turn upside down in order for me to go, wait a minute. <laughs> Do I really know anything? All right. Hmm, maybe not. And so I went out on a mission of, of discovery and finding out, gee whiz, uh, whatever it is I, I think I learned, it was really not helping me. My life wasn't working at all. Anyway, it's not really about me here, but uh, what we're talking about is the futility of trying to convince people to wake up. And it gets back to this enormous crisis that's happening right now in the world. I mean, let's face it. The most people out there who are these not beers, these people that are living lives of irresponsibility and just doing whatever, you know, comes up, you know, living as corks on a proverbial ocean, blasted to and fro, seemingly at random, whatever happens, happens, then I'll, then I'll just explain it afterwards. Well, see, this is what happened. Living their lives as a constant narrative of excuse making. See, see, and really all they're trying to prove is that it was like this. See, I told you, my word doesn't matter. Nothing I say makes a difference. Nothing I do is going to matter. See, I told you. And it just becomes this one big story or narrative, whatever you call it, to prove essentially that whatever idea they accepted as a young person, perhaps four-year-old, five-year-old, when they first decided for themselves that nothing I can do can make a difference, their whole life becomes about proving that one idea. Think about it. Their whole life becomes all about proving that one idea. They're desperately trying to be right with respect to that. They've chosen not being. All right? And no matter what happens, they're going to stick with it. So try to convince them otherwise. It's, it's like a threat to their very lives. If you notice these people get up in arms right in your face, they can become really belligerent when you start to challenge them about this core idea. You know? I, you know, with a good heart, with a good will, you're probably trying to tell these people, look, you're more powerful than you think. What you say does make a difference. What you do does matter. And for them, that's a complete negation of what they've chosen to believe at their very core, which they probably don't even really know that they believe. You know, it's, it's just a, a, an unquestioned assumption. You know, like air to the bird or water to the fish. But the fish doesn't know reality anything but living in the water. Water, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't get it. So you try to convince these people directly, and it's just, it's just hopeless, okay? So I would say, you know, with your own life, one of the hardest things to do, if you've chosen a life of responsibility or to be, is not making other people wrong. It's just allowing other people to be and accepting the fact that they just don't get it. You know, you don't, that doesn't mean you have to accept their excuse making or go along with everything they're saying, but it does mean that you've got to discipline yourself to stay calm and stay cool. You know, when they're trying to feed you the usual lines, see, I told you, this is the reason, this is what happened, da, 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 da. they're trying to give you that sales pitch. And, you know, you got to just find a way to discipline yourself to at least just accept where they're coming from, to say, okay, 
I just accept what they're saying. Okay, I accept what they're saying. And the hardest part could be just allowing yourself to just be calm and still as you're listening without judging or trying to make them wrong about whatever it is they're saying. That's, to me, the hardest part. Not being that kind of guy like, see, I told you you're wrong. This is nonsense. This is BS, blah, 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 blah. It's not easy to do, I tell you. Because deep down, you know, who, who I'm being in that moment is the guy who's trying to prove that you're wrong. I'm right. I'm just trying to be right myself, right? Right, right, right? <laughs> so it's just another way of trying to be right. And so for all the religious people out there, I mean, if you want an argument for the presence of free will, which again, is really only an exercise of leadership, really, when you think about it. It's a, it's a way of taking the initiative about choosing what is in the scripture. It's a conscious decision, a conscious choice. It's a conscious choice to say, okay, look, I'm going to choose to do what... Oh, I'm going to turn around here. <laughs> there we go. Choose to do the right thing, even though it, it's kind of against my own interest at the time, my own concern. In fact, it may be the very opposite of whatever my concern is at the time. My concern at the time is I need to be right about this with my wife or my husband or my child, my boss. I just have to be right. I have to vindicate myself and prove something. But perhaps the responsible thing to do is just to quiet yourself. Or if you have to say something, just, just acknowledge whatever it is they're saying with a kind of peacefulness and acceptance. That might not be so easy to do. And so the presence of Scripture in the world is proof positive if you're religious. Again, I'm not trying to convince you to be religious because, again, that would be a complete and total waste of time. But if you already are religious and you're looking at your Scripture, you can look at that as proof positive of the existence of free will. So why would God even bother issuing directives in written form in a language we can understand if there was no possibility of exercising free will. Like if we were these pre-programmed automaton robots without any free will whatsoever, the scripture would be kind of a joke, right? It would be like, ha ha ha, see, you can read this, but you can't do anything. It's hopeless. You're a complete slave to your passion no matter what you do. So you can know the truth, you can read about it, but you can't act on it. No, I, I just don't think that's the case. The, the existence of Scripture tells me, anyway, that there must be a possibility of exercising free will, which means that there must be a possibility for evolution of a human being within his or her own lifetime. It doesn't matter if you ended up being consumed with lies and nonsense. It doesn't really matter. Because there's still the possibility of evolving yourself and adapting yourself to the truth by choosing to be. To be what? To be responsible. Responsible. Capable of choosing a response. Instead of just defaulting to the usual, I gotta be right. I gotta choose what feels good at the time. I gotta do the expedient thing, whatever it is. And so it brings me back to eugenics. 
What is the basis for eugenics, really? In the end, it's based on the observation of human beings who refuse to evolve. If you think about it, you're looking at massive numbers of people. This is Birdland here. Okay, that's about face. Da -da -da -dun 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 -dun. Huge numbers of people. Let's bring it on back. Who just squander their opportunity to be responsible for for whatever for whatever reason. I mean, who knows really what it is? And people observe that they go, well, you know, generation after generation, you know, one after another, you've just got these groups of people that don't seem to evolve at all. Now you could argue, you know, what kind of evolution is is right and good. I mean, that's another argument altogether. You know, how how should people evolve and you know what constitutes a mature human being? But you could argue that it's the exercise of prudence and wisdom that could demonstrate the maturity of a human being. I mean, doing what's right and good in the moment, choosing that as a habit, right? And the absence of prudence and wisdom, the turning away from that which is good and true, the embracing of that which is unnatural, to use a, a Shakespearean word, which is very common, by the way, if you read Shakespeare, unnatural, happens quite a lot in plays like Hamlet and The King Lear and Macbeth. And as a side note, I mean, if you learn nothing in school except for Shakespeare, it would have been worth your time, even with all the other stuff going on, okay? Shakespeare really ought to be a part of your education. Anyway, so back to eugenics here. So these eugenicists, these people, can, can look at this go, and go pragmatically, well, if they're not going to change, if they're not going to evolve and, and um, go along with the truth, I'm, I'm not even saying I'm a eugenicist, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I'm trying to put myself in their, in their shoes, trying to think like they do. Well, then those people should be replaced. I mean, it's a brutal argument right, when you think about it. You know, it's, it's like they, they have to put themselves in a position of God, you know, to be able to think like that. Okay. So those people over there, you know, they're not evolving. They've got to be replaced. You know. And the other part of the argument of eugenics, it just goes back to poor diet. You know, for a long, long time, the only people who could eat well were the monarchs and the, the aristocrats or the nobility of the world. I mean, if you were a king, you could eat meat. Uh, your senior henchmen could eat meat and their families as well. But everybody else, no. In fact, it was illegal for a commoner, let's call him, or a peasant, uh, to hunt for, for meat. Because the king and the monarch or the nobles, they owned all the animals, all the livestock. And so the regular people, they were forced to eat things like berries and, and roots. And of course, with a diet like that, do you think that the brains of the young ones are going to develop in a complete way? No, no, no. They're going to be rather undeveloped. And then, if you compare that with the development of the children from the, the noble or royal families, they would look really dull, wouldn't they? They would come across as dull, stupid, incapable of learning, incapable of adapting and evolving. And then that, again, provides the whole justification. Well, look at these people. 
again and again, generation after the next one, they come in with these, these dull, darkened minds that seem to be immune and fortified, immune to and fortified against any sort of new ideas. And so observing the fact that these people don't evolve, don't change, don't mature, these eugenicists come in and say, well, these people need to be um, eliminated and replaced with better people. And you could argue that's what's going on right now in the world, is this huge, shall we call it, game plan or manipulation in order to bankrupt massive, massive numbers of businesses and people. It's really not just a, you know, a health pandemic as such. It's more like a bankruptcy pandemic. You get bankruptcies and the financial collapse of untold numbers of businesses and individual people going on right now. And that, you could argue, is going to be how the Immortan Joes are going to be able to come in now and exercise tyrannical control over what to do. Because again, they figure, well, you're not going to choose anyway, right? Their whole attitude is, you've rejected the power of choice. You've, you've adopted the idea that your word doesn't mean anything. It's completely without value. And there's nothing you could say or do that's going to make any difference. Okay, fine. Well, we, the Immortan Joes, who have embraced the fact that our word does mean something, and my, what I say does make a difference, I'm just going to tell you what to do. Because you've just chosen to ignore the power that's been given to you and to pretend like it doesn't exist, and you're going to make your whole life about not choosing. Okay, don't want to choose? Fine, I'll choose for you. And that seems to be the inevitable result of being in the world. Getting back to Augustine again. City of God, city of man. You choose which city you want to live in. Again, city of God. You're going to embrace that which is given to us as being right and good and true. Whether you believe in that or not, that's what Augustine was trying to say. City of man. Pretty much do the opposite. You know, you give in to tyranny and enslavement and turning away from that which is right, good, and true. You can make the choice for yourself. So it seems to be an inevitable result that you can choose either way, Whoops! but in choosing city of man, you're basically choosing to end up being a slave and it's almost like an inevitability kind of attitude to it. You know what I mean? It's inevitable. You can only choose the city of man so long until you're going to wind up clapped in, in irons and, and sentenced to a, a kind of prison, a kind of enslavement where you're told what to do by people who have chosen to embrace the power that's been given to them. Now, the question is, do they use that power wisely? Is that good? Is that right and good that what they're doing? No. I'm not trying to justify what they're doing. I'm just trying to say where they're coming from. So you can realize, and maybe even wake up, hate to say that, but you know, if you think about it, it's really up to you to choose to be or not to be. And I call that question the dread question because it's the one question that it seems like we're, we're wired to ignore and pretend like it doesn't exist. We like to just 
default into unthinking, not thinking, not considering what life is all about, who I really am. Well, who you really are is just the possibility of choosing to be or not to be, really. Every day, choose to be. Be what? Responsible. So I invite you to, to think about this and ask yourself, what does it look like to choose to be? What does it look like as a human being to choose to be as the prevailing context for your life? What does it look like? And how is that different from choosing not to be? And what do you need to do with your life in order to choose to be more often? Anyway, that's all I got to say about that. I'm out for now. See you later.